up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guests are Mr. Sam Tripoli, Mr. Jason the Teeb Tebow. His name is so his last name is so hard to pronounce. It, there's an L in it. It has that LDT, so it's it's like it could be Tebalt or Tebow. And I think I've heard people pronounce it both ways. I'm going to go with Tebow because, but. I, I assume that's where the nickname the Teeb comes from, having such a hard goddamn last name to pronounce. Um, and also Tony Hinchcliffe, we uh, we sat down. This was my first mobile podcast. We I went out to the to the comedy store's condo in Pacific Beach, and we had a little roundtable discussion at the uh, coffee table while everybody recovered from the night before. We sat down and talked Lohan, Hobo Union, Jim Trestle, The Great Lakes, Beer Ball, Apples vs. Horseshit, Peaking in High School, The Road, Adult Film Stars, The Death Squad, The Naughty Show, Rogan, Soma Snake Oil, Bondage, Sexual Taboos, Accountability, Janet Jackson's Titty, Chuckle Junkies, Joey Coco Diaz, Podcasting, The Ballet of Chaos, and The Voice in Your Head. So, as always, make sure you go check out the website, MikeMaxwellArt.com, and click on the the podcast link or click on the blog link to get all the information on, on each artist and to subscribe in iTunes. As I said in the last show, the Live Free raffle is back on, and I'm happy to announce uh, another prize package added to the, to the pool. So there's five different prize packages to win from each of my sponsors, one from DSDShop.com, uh, DSD clothing, one from Brixton.com, Brixton Manufacturing, whom I, uh, Sam Tripoli, who's on the show, is a big fan of, of that hat company. I, ho- I actually hooked him up with, with a hat that I, he was stoked on it. So that's awesome. Uh, make sure you check them out, Brixton.com. Also, keepabreast.org, the amazing breast cancer awareness organization. Uh, there's a, an awesome gift pack to give away for that. Uh, Keep a Breast is Keep dash a dash breast.org also we have the two pairs of sunglasses to give away from spy optic their website is spyoptic.com. we have a men's and women's pair of sunglasses that are priced well over a hundred dollars each or valued at the new the new prize pack is from home clothing uh dave persuay who was just on the recent episode his clothing company that he does with his brother uh it's it's they do uh, a sort of remanufacturing, recycling old clothes and getting them back out there instead of into landfills, which is really rad. And then they have their own line of stuff that they sell in their two stores. So they're like a manufacturing and a, a retail spot um, doing awesome things in their community. And I'm happy to have them aboard and hopefully get you guys over to, to their shop to uh, check everything out. They have a shop in North Park and in Encinitas. Check out their website at a momentinyourlife.com. That's a m o m e n t i n y o u r l i f e dot com. Support local business and your local community and local economies will will grow. 
So go to the blog and check out the Live Free raffle. You'll see all the prize packs over there. And all you have to do is donate $5 or more, and you'll get a raffle ticket for each $5 you donate. You'll receive one ticket, so if you donate $10, you'll get two. If you donate $15, you'll get three, etc. Um, and all that stuff just goes right back into the show, into making things and getting better equipment and making a better show being able to travel and do some more of these portable podcasts as well as always make sure you go and subscribe in the itunes because that'll get all the numbers up and blah 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 blah. anyhow so with all that said ladies and gentlemen without further ado mr sam tripoli the teeb and tony hinchcliffe you can make it official all right let's let's officialize it She's about to change her name to a symbol like Prince. I heard that. I saw that on somebody. So she's just gone batshit crazy at this point. Yeah, and it looks like her face might have morphed somehow. Really? You know why Prince did that to get out of his fucking contract? Contract. Like, she's doing this because she's just got no one in her life who gives a fuck. There's no one who can, like, steady the ship. Well, remember she was, like, suing somebody because they were going by just Lindsay? Somebody, I forget who it was. Somebody was just really? wanting to go by Lindsay, and she's like, uh uh-uh. uh. I was like making a big stink about it. It's like, you haven't cornered the name Lindsay. I there think was she a, won that, though. Did she? There was a picture of her on like Yahoo's front page or something, and her face looked like it was like elongated, like had a chin implant, like some sort of like weird, you know, plastic um, surgery mistake. She's, uh, she's, I mean, out of everybody, it's the saddest because she actually has talent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she she, just got she's she's a great actress. Well, what I know a you strange think world. Say that. She's a great actress. Yeah, she's been good in everything she's been in, and she, dude, she's just young. Her parents are fucking fucked up. Apples never fall far from the tree. If you have fucked up parents and you haven't done work to reverse shit, when you blow up, you're gonna, it's gonna go bad. It's yeah. gonna go really bad, man. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just fucking. It's genetics. It's everything, you know? It's like, she has no fucking... This chick is way too hot to be doing commercials. What is she? She looks like the girl from uh, Knocked Up. All right, let's start it. All right, let's get official. All right, guys, thanks for doing the show. I uh, appreciate you taking the time. No problem. No yeah, problem, man. Thanks super for Super busy us. schedule. Yeah, yeah we're on the boardwalk in Pacific Beach. Slam. We have uh, yeah. hobo fights to watch. <laughs> you, I'm sure you see some crazy shit out here. Yeah, yeah. there was an awesome After meeting midnight. yesterday. You, Sam was sleeping in yesterday. Like, right out here, because we're right on the beach here. There was like some sort of homeless meeting. Remember that, Tony? Yeah. There's like 12 homeless dudes all sitting in a semicircle. And one dude who looked like Santa Claus. If Santa Claus lost all his money <laughs> in a bad real estate deal or something, yeah. you know what I mean? If Santa Claus just went belly up. was like presiding. He was like standing over all of them like a quarterback in a huddle. Like I, I was dying to know what the it fuck It must be some kind of hobo about. union. I, mean, I don't know. Is it called a group or a pride of homeless people? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a school. It was a school of homeless guys. I was dying to know it. And, dude, it was like 20 minutes long. They were all sitting around just like, and everything he was saying, they were all just nodding their head. Like, I don't know if he was telling them where to get fucking free Tony's food or what. Tony's uh, very quiet today because Ohio State is crumbling as we speak. Their basketball team just got booted. And Jim Trestle's going to get fired. All that you believe in is shattered. They're not going to fire Jim Trestle. That's impossible. The NCAA might suspend him for a year, but there's the one guy, one coach, in any sport that's not getting fired is Jim Trestle. Guarantee it. Ever, ever will he never get fired. Well, like, we'll see if this boomerang's back yeah. in your face. Yeah, that, that is on the record. Bro. All right, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, um, all you guys make the funny for a living. Yeah. Um, something I've noticed within creative communities sort of like follows the evolutionary lines. Yeah. Is that your environment plays a big role in uh, the sort of art that you create? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, you grew up on the East Coast, right? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Cortland, New York, just outside Syracuse. Cortland with a C. Yep. Four one three. Are you I, a West Coaster? No, I grew up uh, in uh, Michigan City, Indiana, which is right on Lake Michigan, about 20 minutes outside Chicago. So. And I grew up directly in between the two of them in beautiful Youngstown, Ohio, right on the lake of Lake Erie. We're all Great Lakes guys. All right, so freezing ass cold, so freezing ass cold, and freezing yeah, ass cold. absolutely, very cold. So there's something very strange that comes along with that, is that there's typically two patterns for people who, who need to find either a creative path or uh, something to do with their time when you when you have, when you're in an environment. That yeah, you cabin well, there's fever. There's nothing to do. Where I came from, there one, there's nothing to do, and two, to do it, you gotta freeze your ass off. So it's like, why does San Diego have so much problems with supporting local sports teams? Because there's so much to do here. It's yeah. like you go to the beach, you're good looking. You can sit in the sun, drink beer, and hit on chicks. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. why do you want to go watch a basketball <laughs> why, yeah, game? Why would, I, why would I care what the Padres are doing? Yeah, you know, it's like, where I come from, it's like we had to drink, you know, we had to find beer balls, someone to buy us it. That took creativity. <laughs> you had to find a scumbag. You had to find a warm place to drink beer. it. Yeah. Right? Then you had to go find that beer ball. Then you had to go find a location to drink that beer ball. Because you didn't want to get busted, so you always had to drink out in the woods, in the freezing beer ball. He, oh, it's yeah. like a pony keg. It was like, like smaller than a pony keg. Like Coors Light and Bud Light, they came out with this beer ball that was just like a round ball full yeah. of beer. Yeah, and yeah, plastic, it. yeah. it was plastic. Plastic. Yeah, that and you could awesome. turn, you would drink it, then you turn it in for you get a, your deposit back. And it was great, that dude. sounds great. Party just, balls. We always called them party balls. Yeah, you just bring them out. It was freezing, so it always stayed cold. It was great. So there's so much creativity that comes with trying to just stay entertained. So what about in terms of, like, you know, leading into comedy? Does that play a role? You know, we hear a lot about, like, the difference between a West Coast comedian and an East Coast comedian. Is there Was there something in your environment that you think like dictated your style or dictated uh, a certain level of uh, oh, emotion? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't really buy into this East Coast, West Coast uh -huh. crap. I think that's somewhat dictated by New York comics who hate L.A. comics for <laughs> some unknown reason. Yeah, you don't really get, it doesn't really flip-flop on that. Like, L.A. comics really don't seem to give a damn. And a lot of them are East Coast comics that move to L.A., you know, mm -hmm. so they don't really, there's not really much of a I beef. like New York City comics. West Coast comics. But they're I, hilarious be... because they compare like LA's worst comics to their best. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, like it's even close. Like, who's better, Jim Norton or Boom Shakalaka? It's, like, <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? They're two totally different comics. Right. I mean, you're comparing apples with horseshit, you know? It's like, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Uh, for me personally, it, it has a lot to do with uh, the people I grew up with. My buddies were um, all, we weren't, I was telling someone this the other day, we weren't necessarily, uh, you know, boys fight growing up. We weren't physical fighters, we were verbal fighters. A lot of my buddies grew up, their parents were divorced. You know, then that was a big deal yeah. and it affected their psyche. Talk so about somebody's dad not being around. That's like a zinger. That's hard, man. Hardcore. But it was new that it was like yeah. divorce is just coming more 
prevalent, mm -hmm. uh, a little more acceptable, and it, like people were just learning how to deal with it more then. Um, I'm sure it's still traumatic, but then it was like newer. There wasn't as much, you know, support on it. So they, we were all just like, my, even though my parents were, weren't divorced, I think my parents were the only ones of the group who weren't divorced. And um, we were just, we would just rail on each other, man. I mean, like, we would just go down to local pizza place, sit in the booth. Whoever got unlucky enough to sit in the corner where he couldn't get out would just get fucking rocked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just verbal nastiness. And it just hardened me up, you know? So I really got this, like, kind of sharp wit, cutting, you know, persona yeah. when it comes to comedy. And it's just like... And I tell people like that when they really want to engage me on stage that they got to understand, like, I'm dead on the inside. All the emotion that you are trying to get out of me is long gone. You're wasting your time. I lost that yeah. by 11th grade. Yeah. You know, it was just beat out of me verbally by my friends growing up. And so, you know, even when I went to college before, I mean, I started comedy it, with my buddies in high school, uh, college, they would call it the uh, triply low blow. Where it would be like, we'd say, pat, pat, and we'd go back, and then I would just go there. Boom! And I'd take out the legs. <laughs> Sweep the legs. I'd be like, why'd you do that, dude? Yeah, I know. We're just fucking God, around, man. They're talking about my dead mom. You know? Whatever, you know? Yeah. If you're playing your mom's dead. with Mike Tyson, eventually he's just going to throw a blow at you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's just how it is. And it translates into comedy. I'm going to get you. Yeah. You're just, it just takes time. You're going to yeah, get Yeah, there's that sense of like, look, you're not going to go... Lower than you're me. You're never gonna get me. You're not. You know what I mean. Your your bottom is way higher than my bottom. Yeah. So yeah. it's like someone was asking me last night about like, what do you do about hecklers? Like, what do you? Because that's the novice of comedy. People that go, only go see comedy once a year. So that's always their big thing. Like, think think heckling is a big thing. I'm like, dude, heckling and hecklers are the least of my concerns. Yeah. Like, if somebody wants to get somebody that's drunk and doesn't have a microphone. Wants to get into a verbal battle like Tripoli's talking about right yeah. now with somebody who's been doing that since they were six. I welcome it. I mean, yeah. I'm, you're only going to get made to look stupid. You know what I mean? It's like asking, like Tripoli said, it's like asking Mike Tyson, like, you know, how, do you find it hard sparring with people? It's like, dude, I'll kill anybody that wants to, you know what I mean? They're not I even professional. I take out their bullets, too. I'll go start listing all the things that's going through their head right now. What are they going to say to me? And I just start saying, oh, you want this, this, well, this, dude, this, I'll, this, this, I'll this. let you know, my sister gave me a little heads up to, to watch out for any, like, she was like, Sam's going to try to say some inappropriate shit to, like, test you. So, like, I was trying to think like you. Like, okay, if he does this, what is, what is going to be my what is gonna be my reaction she to this? She you before you go to the dojo. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, if he fucking throws the jab, I'm going to... Encounter with this? Him, That's you know? so hilarious. You know, but... Like, I'm, in this, she said that I was going to say mean shit? No, no, no. Like, probably, like, when, like if we met or something. Oh, oh, oh. You know, it's like that, uh, that like, Daisy and Confused, where the girl has the little brother and says, uh, even though Janelle's my little sister, uh, you know, so I have that, like, big brother mentality. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So, like, mm -hmm. she's warning me because she knows that I've always, like, protected her, her, you know, throughout our whole life. No, she's cool, man. Yeah, and, you know, we 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 come from a broken home, too, so it's mm -hmm. like, I've played that father role a lot. So, sure. Like, so I'm always like, yeah, I got a left very hook coming. Now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And it, it's something that we find a lot in creative fields. Well, that's where it comes from, you know, it's like I kind of talked about last night, and I, I want to go more into it, it's, you know, it's like everybody got bullied to a point in high school, either you were the mm -hmm. bully or you got bullied, and, you know, the worst thing you do in high school is peak, we talked about this, like you can, 
you know, middle management is littered with the dead carcasses of prom king and queens. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, like the best shit that happened to you was the football is, captain. Yeah. That never got a college scholarship. It's like when you peak in high school, it's like you think. Yeah, we were talking about. You think Bill Gates ever got laid in high school? Yeah. How much dick do you think Oprah got? Nothing. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Like that's where it comes from. Is just this desire to survive, and like I had to learn very quickly. I had to be very creative in high school on how not to get my ass kicked because I wasn't a big guy. Mm-hmm, me too. You know, it wasn't until... It's I mean, a great I'm defense mechanism. Now, but I was a small little dude in high school. I was like smaller than Tony is. You know, I was like a really small guy and there was a bunch of big kids around and I had to learn how to be how to survive. And, you know, it was either be funny or what I used to do was steal Playboys from the 7-Eleven. And bribe uh, big guys with fucking free Playboys, right. you know, and uh, candy and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> humor was, I was telling some of this, humor was very interesting because it, it was my survival thing in high school. But girls don't find funny attractive in high school. No. It's not till they get to college that funny becomes attractive. And then I went to college and it was just like, I was on a tear with chicks. And that was the first time I ever did that. College, high school is like barren wasteland. Yeah, they, they think you're a bad guy. They just think you're... I got told, if I didn't know you, I'd think you were retarded. I was like, well, there's a level of intelligence to it, right? That you're able to formulate something in such a way that, that gets reactions from people mm-hmm. in a positive way, something that makes people actually feel something, as opposed to just like, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. And there's also like an identity that goes with it. Like, I moved around a lot. Like, by the time I was in, ninth, I think, ninth grade, I'd already been to six different schools. So it was, it, that was always sort of like my identity. I was always the funny guy. You know, I knew I could establish, make friends, and also, like Sam saying, like, use it as a defense mechanism. Like, dude, you know, you might be able to kick my ass, but I am going to fucking humiliate you publicly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Punch me all you want, man, but I'm going to fucking chop down your tree in a public forum repeatedly. Yeah. You're not going to kill me. You know what I mean? Back then, the Columbine wasn't a situation. Now, right. Nobody, you know, in the 80s wasn't worried about somebody rolling in with a gun. So it's like, yeah. you know, you can fucking take my fucking lunch money and punch me in the gut every day you want. I'm going to chop your fucking tree down in public. Right. Let's just call this a wash and let's not fucking engage. Yeah. You know what I mean? I used to get so, I mean, dude, just making people laugh. That was a survival mode thing. You know, it's so interesting. Something that, like, I gained a, a sort of a newfound... Um, perspective and respect for stand-up comedy because you know from a personal perspective i feel like artists and strippers and comedians we're all sort of the same thing oh dude Um, we're all coming from the same place and we all sort of have a lot of the same needs sure yeah um last year i made this effort to um, improve both body and mind and one of the things i decided to do was that if certain um interesting opportunities came up to me I was going to take them. I wasn't going to figure out a way to talk my way out of it because sure. I was scared or because I was nervous about being judged or whatever. So I had a friend ask me to um, to become a minister in Marion. So, you know, that was something I don't do a lot of public speaking, you know, like I could do interviews and shit, but it's like it's, it's something different to stand up in front of 150 people and, you know, captivate their attention. One, entertain them enough to where you're not boring as shit. And, you know, keep them interested in what you're doing. Sure. Right. And after I took that opportunity to, to do that, the, the wedding and be a minister, I, I had at first sort of looked at comedy like I could hear kind of the sadness in it because I, I had some of the same issues, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would always hear the subtext. And it, it, it sort of made me just be look at it from a sort of clouded perspective. 
But so I do this this gig, and all of a sudden I get this really strong respect and profound insight as to what it takes to actually captivate a crowd or to, to hold a crowd to your attention. And after doing that and hearing, and also hearing the podcast and stuff, which you guys do the Naughty Show mm-hmm. podcast and the, the Naughty Show show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to hear your guys' stories and like sort of what, what got you to a certain place or, or what have you. And I, 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 I garnished a new respect. Was that some, is that a challenge coming, like starting out, like figuring out, okay, how do I, how do I get this crowd on my side? Uh, is that some of like the early stuff? What's... I think that's something, I mean, and I'm sure Sam might have a different answer. I think like, like for me, and I know for Sam too, like we wanted to do comedy relatively early on in life. A lot of people start later and more as adults. Like Sam and I were younger when we both wanted to. We just wanted to do that. So, and we were funny guys. So, you know, we kind of went into it just worried about making people laugh, telling jokes. You wanted to have as many jokes as you could. You wanted to do as long of a set as you could. Once, once you get, you know, all that out of the way, have material, have jokes, that stuff kind of comes later of being like, Mm -hmm. man, I got all these jokes, but I'm not, I'm not keeping their attention or I'm not, you know, that's something that kind of comes like with more hours on the clock than something you initially come out doing. I mean, some people are just captivating and they're really good at doing that and can hold attention and stuff like that. But I think early on, you're really just concerned with like having jokes, having material, you know, having a new good joke. I I mean, that feeling was always great early on. Like I got one, you know, Uh you would have, you know, maybe nine jokes early and you just couldn't wait to get to the one that always worked. You know what I mean? I always find that it's just, um, yeah, it's a process, man. Every, every stage of comedy is a different kind of lesson you got to learn. You know, it's like when you're doing like a, a five minute set at an open mic, that's a different strategy from a, you know, uh, uh, doing a 10 minute set at a comedy club at a bringer show. And then like, that's a different strategy from a 15 minute set in a book show. And mm-hmm. then what to do in a theater. It's like, everything is different. You know, they have different rules and, you know, it's like, it's so interesting. I mean, the perf- I mean, like then you get to a place where it's all the same. You've achieved this level of comedy that uh-huh. no matter where you go, you're going to, you've mastered it. You can, you got the tools, but everything's a learning process and different rules and how to get people on the, the same, on your side. And that, you know, and I, how you learn it is just so interesting, man. My, I've had this kind of this weird, like career where I moved very quickly. And so I didn't learn a lot of the tools fast enough sometimes you know because my humor was funny my sense of humor was very funny it was beyond my stage well not my presence but i didn't have the tools to deal with what i was going into you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like i never got for the longest time i never got taken on the road by a headliner to learn how to uh deal with, you know, a crowd headlining a show, you know, and that's... Yeah, a lot of times you got to fight, you know, like in fighting terms, like you got to, you got a title fight before you had a couple tune-up fights. Yeah, one hundred. You know, you would move up a weight class and fight for the belt versus like... Right out of the gate. Yeah, right. I went right from like never doing the road to headliner. Right. And as great as that sounds, it's, it's rough, man. Yeah. Because I didn't... Because you learn it on the fly. You got to take all your lumps publicly, you know, right. Yeah. And I, you know, like I, I, like let's say Sebastian Maniscalco, right? One of the funniest guys working. Right out of the gate, like uh, Andrew Dice Clay took him on the road with him, and he was gigging with Andrew for like years. He got to watch how Andrew 
you know, took the stage. And you see that in Sebastian's act, not that he's doing Andrew, but he's, you see, like, the way he starts his set is a very slow, just like the way Andrew Dice Clay does it. I never had that. What I did was I got in the comedy, so I got picked up very quick and very early, and I was thrown in with the fucking masters mm -hmm. right out the gate. And it was like I didn't have I, – I had to learn on the fly, and I would have to follow, like, Andrew Dice Clay or Red, Joe Rogan doing, like, an hour and something, and I'd have to get thrown right up on stage after they just crushed. Yeah. And, you know, and my persona, my, what I did to learn was I would just go right at the crowd. And at that moment, that worked. When you go on the road, it's a whole different thing, man. When you go on the road, you, it's, you know, you got an hour on stage. You take your time. Mm -hmm. You like, you, you don't have to crush right out the gate. You can go nice and slow out of the gate. You just talk to them. Because on the road, it's more of an experience of you than uh, a power set. Right. You know what's very interesting with all this podcasting stuff, with like doing road work and stuff, is like what's what surprised me. You know, because you know we've all done Rogan's podcast and we're, we're good friends with Lucky. I haven't. Well, you know, I mean, Sam and I, and it's like we're fortunate to be good friends with him. And then once you know Red Band started doing all the Death Squad stuff, and and you know Sam and I wanted to do our podcast. And what's amazing to me is how people know you. People that we don't know, like, you know, hanging out with you, like, you yeah. come in and it's like, we already know each other. Yeah. You know, even though we've never personally met and right. a lot of people on the road and a lot of, um, <clears throat> this is like a therapy session. Like, Sam's like laying on the couch with sunglasses on, his feet are up. He's like, I have my leg crossed. I know, I'm waiting for him to start. You got a notepad. It's like, I'm like, I'm like <laughs> intervening on like your guys' therapy session. So, Tam, Sam, tell me about your father. What was your relationship you like with posture. your mother? So, um, and that's kind of like, uh, and I'm sure Sam will say this too, that's the difference when you go like to doing long sets on the road where it's like you're getting to know these people. You know, they're getting to personally know you. And the more they feel like they know you, the better off your set's going to go. One of the best yeah. advice Rogan ever gave me was he saw me do a set at the comedy store. And, and at that point in time, this is like six years ago or something, a lot of my set was like joke, 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 almost like how Stephen Wright kind of jokes um, set up punch, but it was nothing personal. It was nothing, not a lot of personal experiences or anything about mm -hmm. me. And Rogan's like, you know, I, I, all your jokes are very funny, but I don't feel like I know you at all. You know, yeah. like I don't, I don't feel any personal connection to you whatsoever after that. And if they see eight comics, they might remember one or two of your jokes, right. but they don't want to like, they don't feel like they know you. They don't want to come up to you afterwards and be like, oh, that happened to me or this, I can relate to that story. My or, you problem know. is that they know me and they're scared. Right, right, right. <laughs> there is something interesting about that. You know, something that was, that I've found really um, valuable from podcasts is the level of honesty that people are putting out there. Yeah. Whereas we get fed bullshit from the radio, radio. and news stories. And that well, that's sort why of radio is and dying. even television is just, it's in trouble. Yeah. I think that's what's so intriguing about a lot of these podcasts with people is the sure. honesty the lack of bullshit, the lack of censorship. Sure. And, and there's a lot of trust. I mean, even with the Naughty Show podcast where we get into some ridiculous stuff, we're not talking in a way that people don't normally talk when they're hanging out. Yeah. You know, if, we're, if we have a porn star on there, we're talking to them about what people want to know. Yeah. We're not fe feeding them some crazy bullshit, you know. We're asking them questions that anybody that's listening is like, oh, God, I'm so glad they asked that. People will tweet us during the thing 
dude, that was a great question. Or can you, a they'll even a ask us questions they yeah, want to ask. Yeah, I've sent in a couple questions. Yeah, right. The, uh, you know, when the message is controlled, then it just becomes, you know. Propaganda in a way. Yeah, it's just, it's everything's just trying to make the marketer happy instead of making the uh, audience happy. And it's like, that's why the internet's so great. I just love that it's taking all the power away from the suits and giving it to the artists. That's just my opinion. And sometimes yeah. you get something like, a Rebecca Black or, you know, Babies Laughing getting 50 million views. And it's like, you're always going to have something like that. But if you can create a product that people like, you can find a market, man. And I think what's happened where this has gotten so ass backwards with radio and television and cable television is what gets fucked up is it's always been, the formula that's always worked is if there's an audience for it, then there'll be a market for it. And what what's backwards about it now is they're going, there's a market, let's find the audience. Yeah. And what happened, that's where everything becomes so fucking cookie cutter and so contrived and so formulaic. They control art. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to control it, making it lowest common denominator so they can make the most money from it. You know, and that's where the problem is. It's like, it's, it's so much about numbing now. And the, that's why people like real podcasts, real motion, and real issues, and real life, because that's where it's at. Yeah. I mean, and marketers have de determined that women are 70% of the buying power. So everything on television now is geared towards women and the female persona, but that's not life. Right. They're 51% of the population. There's 49% of the population that they're completely ignoring, yeah. you know? And it's like, that's why entertainment just keeps going down the crapper, dude. Yeah. You know, it's like, get it away from the fucking suits. That's how Louis Anderson, I heard, said that one time. It's like the difference between when he was coming up and now was like when he was coming up, the artists determined what was entertainment. Now the suits determine. That's exactly what I, yeah, that was exactly the and point it, that I was just making. It's becoming a cultural shift, too, because now that we're being honest about these things, like, for instance, hearing Rogan talking about taking DMT and eating mushrooms and shit to a very wide public forum is, is showing that same wide public forum hey, you don't have to be ashamed of yourself for certain things that you do. If, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you're not hurting yourself specifically, you know, there's things that you could do and express yourself. Like, for instance, I, you know, I talk about some, like, hallucinations that I've had in the past or that I've, I've done that I would have never told anybody, particularly a, a very broad, wide audience mm -hmm. uh, who I have no connection with. Yeah. I think I mean, people appreciate the more honest you get because then they, they get to know you. You know, the, one of my biggest goals with The Naughty Show is an exploration of uh, sexuality. You know, a lot of people call it the porn show, but it's not. And I, it's, it, they are just one part of the whole show. It's, you know, I have, uh, you know, pole dancers on there, comedians, sketches that have nothing to do with pornography. They just relate to that one part of it. And like, you know, it's like, unfortunately, she had to cancel because her daughter got sick. But Soma Snake Oil, who's like one of the number one S&M bondage girls, I want to explore all that stuff. You know, and eventually when I get a crowd, when I get a, you know, a following that will trust me, I'll go in the, into weirder stuff. Just to, and, and I talk about it in my act. It's like, you have to accept who you are mm -hmm. and what you're into. Right. Because people live too long now, and you can't go with this, this lie 
forever. Like, you know, years and years ago, it's like when cavemen, they knew they weren't going to live that long. You know, they have a couple kids and they were eaten by, you know, yeah. wild animals. So right. it's like now just people just keep going. And, you know, you just find these people who like one day just wake up and they're just like, I'm really this person. And they lives are shattered. It's like now you got to fucking own it. And, it's, and that's what it's all about. That's that's the exploration. And it's a lot of like what you were saying where it's like Rogan talking about his like hallucinogenic experiences and that opens up other people. It doesn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to go out and try to do this or that or this. People are going to fucking do mushrooms no matter what. Yeah, people right. are going to do whatever. But like sexually, like what Sam's saying is like some of the best things that, that – some of the coolest things that have happened – where it, it puts that on the table, it 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 breakdowns it breaks down like the uh, uh, preconceived notions that yeah, people have taboos. about stuff, the taboos, right. and people will tweet us and be like, "Dude, me and my chick tried, you know, bondage last night after you know hearing what you guys were talking about. It's something we never would have done. It was totally cool, you know, stuff like that." Where it's like people have these preconceived notions, and it erases these boundary lines of like. Um, of judgment. It's embarrassment. It's personal embarrassment. It's personal yeah. embarrassment. It's personal shame. And it's and it's judgment. It's judging yeah. somebody else about yeah. something they never would have done. And the it's like in the nineteen 19- the worst oh, yeah, people sure. behind closed doors. And I was talking Absolutely. about that. It's like, you know, I always go to like these these conservative areas which tend to be rich areas. Yeah. Rich quote unquote conservatives. They tend to be the biggest freaks out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I don't like. Yeah, but they're the first ones to not admit it. Yeah. Well, I don't like, you know, I'm, listen, I'm the first one to say, like, this whole mainstreaming of pornography, I'm not necessarily saying it's the greatest thing ever. Like, I don't think, like, porn stars should ever be, like, A-list actresses. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a reality that's out there. I like it. It's weird. Play. I don't like sexualizing, of, uh, you know, to children in terms of, like, when I watch, like, them having pole dancing on the... Teen Choice Award. I mean, you know, it's like really, like it has its it, it it's for adults. But when you get to adult, I think you should be who you are. Yeah. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, there is like, some personal responsibility and accountability, and right. not in, in the same format as as using like hallucinogenic drugs or any kind of drugs or any kind of drinking or anything. There is personal accountability. Accountability is everything. Yes. For me, it's accountability. Right. You should do whatever you want and be able to do what you want. It's accountability. It's even when it comes to drugs. You know, I have a very limit, libertarian view of it. Me too. It's like, it should be legal. Yeah. Bad things are going to happen. Well, you have the right to that. And you have to be accountable when you say, okay, this shit's getting out of control. I got to own this shit. I got I to gotta stop yeah. it. You know, putting people in jail for having drug problems is ridiculous. And that's kind of... And then when you take it to sex, that's what the naughty show is. To, like... To uh, ban somebody from society or shun them because they're into weird stuff that you're not into is stupid. Well, for sure. And I think, again, back to that like open, honest type of uh, environment that we're putting out there, mm-hmm. I think that helps change people's perspectives. Sure. And even is, is helping in that evolution of a, of a societal shift to where, okay, we don't have to have these same fucking... 40s and 50s hang-ups and weirdness that we that we that our parents have dying. that have trickled down from our parents in a yeah. way you know it's hilarious dude i mean like uh, most of your religious you know rules when it comes to sex is like so obvious that everything's wrong that doesn't produce more religious people you yeah. know what i'm yeah. saying every yeah. sex act that doesn't produce more children for the religion is taboo and wrong and a sin it's yeah. so obvious what's going on here 
You know, like you're just making it so I have to bang out more kids. I mean, I can't touch myself. I can't do any of that stuff. That's all going to make me burn in hell because I'm not producing more. It's so obvious. And it's so, like, how, and, and I respect religion. I do. Atheists make me laugh. If you can believe, you don't have to believe in God. That's totally cool, too. But people who just hate religion, like, you hate really religious people. Imagine them without a God, and they have, there's no fucking accountability for them. They could just go apeshit crazy. There's people who, like, in this country, that the only reason they don't go on mass killing sprees is because they think they're going to burn in hell. Right. So, yeah. you know, with that said, you know, thank God for that shit, you know, that there's this thing, but... It's just like some of the ancient rules, it's like weird. I used to do a joke about how like religion is literally the only thing you let your parents choose for you. You would never let your parents choose who your your girlfriend is, who what kind of car you drive, where you work, any of that shit. But like when it comes to the beginning and the end and what happens after you die, oh yeah, I'll just let my parents pick all that. Yeah, whatever they say is right. Well, yeah. it's so interesting how much of that early influence that we get as children when we're so susceptible to whatever incoming information. It's just sure. like, we're free and we'll just take it all in. We have well, cause you trust empty them. hard drive. Yeah. And you grow up and realize your parents are just as crazy as you are. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like you realize yeah, that's your parents the, the genesis crazy. of a midlife crisis is the realization that your parents were probably wrong about 55% of the time. You know, all the information that you have, it's like, I need to fucking do, I need to clean out my hard drive a little bit. Yeah. That's where people, that's the midlife crisis. Somewhere in your late 30s, mid 40s, you go, what the fuck is going on in here, man? This isn't, none of this makes sense. And I, I believe this for so yeah, long. That's my opinion is what therapy is. Absolutely what therapy, therapy is. is all deprogramming. It's exactly Someone's what it is. sitting you down going, okay, let's talk about this. I feel this way. Well, you're saying, I was told if I do this, this, and this, this is going to happen. And it's not happening. And they got to be like, listen. Absolutely. A therapist is just a spiritual IT guy. That's you're all that is, you know, man. It's all bullshit. Yeah. I think the creative work, you know, if you're doing writing or you're stand-up for me making paintings, like there's therapy in that. 100%. Because for me, that's that moment in time where I'm able to shut my mind down. Being in the moment without any external influences or commotion. Right. You know? It's, that it's you when you're on centered. Stage? 100%. I've always said the only, and I've done pretty much every drug out there, the only time I ever really feel calm or at peace is either having sex or. When I'm on stage, you know, that's the only time where I'm just like really in the moment. I'm really cool. Everything else is just, it's, you know, it's chaos, you know, in the brain and, and everywhere else. Now, everyone always asks me, is any comedy hard? Is it? I'm like, you know what? The easiest part of the whole thing is being on stage. Mm -hmm. It's the minute, it's what you have to deal with. It's all the other shit. up to the stage yep. uh -huh. and then as soon as you get off stage. Yep. That always drives me crazy. Yeah. To the point where like, I don't even want to do your typical comedy club stuff. It's like, I've had, you know, I do the naughty show and I'm taking a little break because now I want to start working on the business side of it all and that's booking it on the road and booking myself on the road and that takes time and effort and I can't produce a show and do that at the same time because I'm doing it all by myself at this point because I have this vision with the show and I want to, you know, I want to bring rock back to comedy. I just think it's gotten so safe and it's, you know, it's such a sterile environment of just, like, numbing. I'm just over it. Well, that's that's actually something that I wanted to talk to you about and something that I've also found in my own community, mm -hmm. which my ideas around it is that it's like a 9-11 hangover. 
that once 9-11 hit, we all sort of kind of like bounced into this like weird safe world where we're just trying to not like be attacked by Muslim terrorists or something. Mm -hmm. There was a weird cultural type shift that I know locally in San Diego, there was a big art movement that was happening right around 99, 98. A lot of do-it-yourself stuff was happening. A lot of um, self-promoted music shows, you know, entertainment things. And that died. As soon as 9-11 hit, around, right around that time, mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff fell to the wayside. It wasn't that important. And I kind of feel like with the podcasting and seeing these people who are like, fuck it, I'm doing all this shit myself. You know, like you doing your whole show, like taking care of all your stuff and just doing what you want to do, biding your time in the way that you feel is most important. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of coming out of that hangover now, that long 10-year conservative, like, war, I mean, we're still in a war, so it's like, it's it's still well, lingering. Well, never going to end. It's, yeah. And that's done on purpose. But, but, you know... I'm with you on that. There was that fear of, uh, you know, of uh, that someone's going to go crazy. Nice. And then you, uh, then you um, put on top of that Janet Jackson trying to be edgy, trying to show she still got it, and whipping her tits out during the Super Bowl halftime show, which goes back to what I was just saying, where I don't think that's necessary in that environment, because that's meant to be like a big family thing. Yeah. Nobody needs to see your chocolate yeah, tits yeah, right pick there. Yeah, pick your fights on that one. You know, and it's just like... I like how she threw Timberlake under the river, too, under, under the, bus the bus on that one. She's like, I had no idea who was going to do that. Yeah, like, really? Like a giant, like, super <laughs> ring on. Uh -huh. Like, you know, and it just was her attempt at staying relevant. Because, like, Janet, uh, you know, Madonna and Britney had just made out. Which I always found funny is that Madonna made out with Christina Aguilera and nobody gave a shit. It was like when she was making out with Britney that everybody went crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she's trying to stay relevant, and she just did something that screwed art over. Like, I just before that, I'd done this awesome set on the Late Late Show about black guys not passing me the ball. <laughs> At the Y. Imagine, imagine, could you do a black joke on network television now? Never going to happen. All because of Janet Jackson. They got so scared, and the FCC got so fucking crazy that they're now scared. Of all that stuff. So the message is so watered down. And that's why when I go on the road and I do comedy, it's like you're fighting television. They have such a low self-esteem, of, of such a low opinion of comedy. That's now basically gotten to they just want to go see famous people. Yeah, do you, let, me right. ask you, let me ask you a question during yes. this podcast. The interviewer Ripley. becomes the interviewer. Yes, how the tables have turned. <laughs> the interviewee. I'm just going to go outside. Do you, feel, do you feel like... In the first portion, when you're doing stand-up, in the first part of your set, that you're sort, you have to, because you know, you and I both are like, you know, I hate the term, but what you would consider like an edgier or dirtier comic. We, you know, we're not just up there fucking talking about, you know, yeah. we'll talk about sex. We'll, we'll you, dirty jokes are one of our specialties or whatever. But right. do you think in the first few minutes of your act that it's sort of like a shock and awe? You have to, you have to put out the fires of like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. And then they then they get into it a little bit. Well, I don't. The reason I, I, I like to have people like you come on the road with me, and I kind of learned this from Joe Rogan. You know, when Rogan brings out like Ari Shafir, Joey Diaz, and occasionally he'll bring me out, uh, you know, it, it, not only are we all friends, so he gets to hang out with his friends, but it's a scientific thing too. Mm -hmm. It's very calculated because... You know, when we're done and when our set's opening for him, we've talked about everything. So there, he's not going to go up there and shock anybody by what he's saying. And that's kind of 
the reason I like to work with these guys is like they'll say all the stuff, get all the dirtiness out, and so by the time I go up, I, I can just talk, and people aren't going to be like shell shocked. Yeah, it's like setting the table. And then I always had a problem with that because when I started doing headliner gigs on the rope. They would hook me up with like just complete opposite opening acts for me. Yeah. And they just, they don't think about it like that. It's like, this guy's kind of dirty. Maybe I should have a kind of dirty feature for him. Then by the time he gets up, the crowd's in that vibe. Right. Instead of just, you know, they would hook me up with complete hacky opposite, like, like middle of the road head uh, features who are just doing stupid jokes just to get laughs. Not even doing it artistically, just chuckle junkies who are just trying to hear laughter because they think that's oh, the only thing that matters and then i'd go up with my stuff and they'd just be like the crowd would just oh what <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. man and it turns out you i could see that formulation making it be an entire show yes exactly. as opposed to five different shows 100 right yeah 100 percent. right and you then know? you're not shifting gears and like oh then you don't have that like I didn't really like this guy, but I like that guy, and then that guy sucked, yeah. and then the last guy was good. It's always really funny, because women love to do that, especially at the show. They love to go out and pick the winner of the comedy Those show. chicks last night here were like... And the winner is you. I like you the most. Right. The women love to do this. You should have been headlined. Shut up. Right. Nobody cares. We're not, it's not a competition. Most likely we're all good friends there, and yes. we're just having to be gigging together. Yes, And exactly. you get, picking the fucking gold star yeah. is stupid. Right, and they don't even realize that they're like My talking shit about a friend of yours yeah, or whatever. It's like, dude, that is. guy's the guy that got me here in the first place. I'm kind of, in a weird way, working for him this weekend, oh, and he's my buddy, and you're talking shit about him. On top of the friend thing, they don't realize that that person knows without a doubt that they're not to that level. Like, there's 12 to, sometimes 12 years difference experience and that many thousands of nights of shows right. in which any comedian knows plays a role. And, so, and I've done featuring forever and I've had people come up and go, you should have been the headliner. And I'm like, I love the guy. He's my good friend. Yeah. And then I've headlined. I've seen him go up to feature. You should have headlined. And it's like, you're, you, you don't know squat. The best story I've ever heard was... Uh, Al Magical is working with Sean Pulowski. Mm. And Sean has her certain crowd, and they really like her, and she's a hilarious comedian. The gay crowd. You can say it, Tim. She has, a very, she has, <laughs> she has a very uh, theatrical crowd. Yeah. And, gay uh, men. Gay men, Sam. You're talking about gay men. Al was sitting there, and they're selling their stuff after, and this woman comes up to her, I just want to know, you were the best. You should have headlined. And Al's like, I'm right here. <laughs> I can hear you. Why would you say that? And it's true. It's like, there's yeah. no reason for that. Yeah. You're not... It's the dumbest thing ever. That's why I hate comment cards. Yeah. They leave comment yeah, ca yeah. cards on clubs. You're like, you're giving people who are one person, you're giving a person, and drunk one people, person, one person in a room of 300, the voice. If you have 295 people liking me, five of me hate me, hate me, five of them hate me, and they fill out comment cards, you think half the room hates me. Yeah, it's going to look bad. It's yeah. stupid. Well, I did a comedy club where they had a fucking secret shopper come. Secret shopper. And let me tell you, you think the secret shopper would be this guy who maybe works at another comedy club in the chain and they make him come and watch and he fills out cards. And, and he knows about comedy yeah. and he's a novice. Right. Nope. He's a guy who didn't want to pay for a ticket, so they offered him a free ticket if he agrees to be a secret shopper. And he liked the feature more than he liked me. And just to let you know about this feature, he no longer does stand-up anymore 
because he got ran out of the business for stealing fucking jokes. <laughs> he sells cars in, like, fucking Indiana now. It's like, it's the dumbest... You can't do that with comedy. You can't have someone judging the comedy. Because what you like... And it's such a subjective thing. It's like going to an art gallery and being like, this painting is the winner. You yeah. ask 100 fucking people, you're going to get 87 different answers. You so you can't put any value. Thing. It's such a subjective yeah. art form that what people's opinions are is yeah. the beauty of that art form. It's like, you, you know, if you see my set... You might be like, oh, I like this joke, but I didn't like this one. And somebody else would be like, I, that was my favorite joke, but I didn't like And you, you right. get a complete different answer. It's a subjective art form. So to be able to put anybody's one opinion like that to make it like... Do you think Do you think that uh, some of that comes from the the places where performance take place, like clubs and, and, and theaters? And it stuff? is a bit of the bottom line, the dollar yeah. aspect of it is. Yeah, because you know I find that there's a competition aspect in the art world. Uh, among artists that it's like an unspoken thing like you don't talk about it and I was really getting into hip hop last year or the year before and listening to like the beef stuff like where they're like okay I don't like you because I'm trying to take that top spot I found like a, an honesty in that that mm -hmm. I, I was like hey wait that's kind of how it is in my community but nobody fucking talks about right. we all shake hands and say yeah fucking Rogan does a great joke about that really? he compares uh, hip hop to like Creed you know and all these jackasses singing about, you know, I love you, you know, and he does, yeah. I can't do justice, and I won't even do it. And yeah. then just like the rappers are like, bitches on my dick, you know what I'm saying? Like, and there's an honesty to yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Whereas, like, for some reason, like, these stupid rock bands have to sing about fucking, like, love and the, missing the girl. It's yeah. like, dude, you're fucking nuts, man. Yeah, it is there, you know, it's like there's an honesty in that shit. Part of that competition is like, okay, I need that little bit of wall space in this particular gallery, mm -hmm. in this particular city. So if there's a hundred dudes competing for that same, or girls competing for that it's same It's going to get space, catty. Claws are going to yeah, come out. Yeah, are going to get cutthroat. Yeah, you'd right? like yep. to be like honest and all that and everybody good, but at the end of the day, it's like Eddie Griffin you say about comedy. It's not a team sport. It's boxing. Mm -hmm. And there is a truth to that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the people who make it are the ones who are more cutthroat. It's just the way it is, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but at the end of the day, they tend to be miserable too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If you shit on people, you're gonna feel shitty. Absolutely, yeah. man. The people that just sort of give it up and live with the results and and just do the best they can and be respectful and play, dude. That's one thing about uh, I will I will. And it's rare for me to give Tripoli compliments because he hates me, but. Uh, uh, but Tripoli, I mean, you ask anybody in L.A., they will tell you that Tripoli is, you know, plays by the rules, is one of those dudes that's like always tries to help other comics out. And I think a lot of that is because that's a lot what happened with Tripoli's career. There's a lot of cool comics that were like, hey, let me show you the ropes. You pay that shit forward, man. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what the artistic community is about in any whatever it is, painting, yeah, man, music, anything. The guys anything. get cutthroat, man. It's like, yeah, they get a level of success, but... They There's level a out. That yes. comes with it, man. Yeah. There's no sense of community. It's an artistic mm -hmm. community. You know what I mean? True confidence that you build from work and grind. I've and never met anybody who being just taught by somebody you look up to. It builds a third wall of confidence, and you just feel invincible. Yeah. It's like if you want to participate in the artistic community, if you want to be accepted by the community, you have to live within the sense of the commune, which is like whatever is mine. You know, I'll take what I need and I'll give the rest up. Sure. So we all fucking survive. And that's, and that's what we were talking about the hobo union outside. <laughs> I've I've thought a lot about trying to build an art an artist union to where like 
we could set up like like a Masonic Lodge type of thing, have different like satellite spots throughout all the cities where an artist can come in for two weeks, build a body of work, you know, have a little place to stay, mm -hmm. you know, they sell the work, they get most of the money, whereas in a gallery scenario, gallery takes 50%. You know, I'm sure yeah, it's almost the, like consignment with a lot of those galleries. Yeah, it's like, you know, right. yeah, you can use our space, but, you know, you sell anything. Oh, yeah, that's it. it. Yeah. They, you know, groups rise, man. And it's a fact. If you look at any group of, uh, you know, I mean, a very powerful dojo in uh, L.A. comedy right now is a quote-unquote alternative com community. And uh, that stems from, like, this this group of, like, Patton Oswalt, uh, Dave Zach Cross. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk, that, all that those group, guys. That uh, group, very powerful, and that was a group that rides. And if you look at, like, you go around to, you know, the the groups that have made it. You know, I mean, the people that have made it, they all come from a group. Uh, in the '90s, it was the, uh, you know, the Death Jam group. You know, mm -hmm. that's who HBO put on. It was Death Jam. They were a group of guys, and they they all worked together, and they and they rose together. And then even the Whoopi Goldberg sect that came out of the comedy store that was a group and they all worked together i mean paul mooney you know is kind of known as being the guy who had his own uh, sketch comedy group on on nbc and what he did was he just he booked them he didn't let the the uh network cast them he booked the comedians so you know and it's almost like rodney dangerfield did where he took these young comedians and pulled them up going these guys are funny and you don't see that as much anymore yeah it's such a uh you know, you got to go through so many hurdles to get on television now that it's, it's it's not the same thing. You don't, you know, you don't see a lot of people pulling up the young guys as much as they do. And if they do pull people up, they tend to be less threatening to them uh -huh. because they don't want to get It's almost like an assistant or like a little Igor, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. it's like the truth of the matter is that sometimes when you go on the road, there's comics who get brought on the road and it's not because they like the comedy, it's because they can follow them. And that's why I really love Rogan, because he brings out animals. Like, he brings out just what he would call savages. Nobody wants to follow Joey Diaz. Well, nobody yeah, wants, nobody to wants to follow Joey, Joey Diaz. Diaz, and Rogan prefers it. One of my worst sets I've ever had at the comedy store was following Joey Diaz. I just saw time. Joey uh, a couple weeks ago here in PB. Oh, and yeah? I, Where? At, at uh, Winston's? At Moondoggies. Oh, Moondoggies. Okay. Dude, I've thrown... I followed him one time... I mean, I was just throwing my, I was just throwing my punchlines into a dark abyss. They just, you just throw them. <laughs> yeah, and nothing. They just go yeah. quietly away. Uh -huh. He's just, a different type of machine, man. He's a, he's he's the funniest guy. He is just to hang out with him. Like you just laugh anytime you ask him a question. It's a fucking fifteen-minute hilarious answer. Uh -huh. Be careful what you say to him. He was one of the big influences for doing this thing too. Hearing how personal his stories were on his podcast uh, yeah. and like, dude, you're talking about all these fucking crimes and like crazy fucking coke stories and shit. One of the yeah. best guys. It's so yeah. honest. I got to smoke a, a blunt with him after the show over here, and we got uh -huh. like a good fifteen minutes or so to like sort of get to know one another. You know, like. You're never shit, uh, shit back and forth. But. I like when he, Joey, though, always says, uh, "You never, you never quit being a burglar. You just outgrow it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's all these burgling yeah. stories of, of fucking. Yeah, he's a, so, so sincere too. This yeah. a heart. fucking heart of gold right there. And that's why you know Rogan. You got respect. Takes. I've gone on the road, man. When I was featuring, and I'm not gonna lie to you, I pulled punches, man. Because that feature spot can be the easy spot, man. Because, you know, usually when you go on the road, 
The opener is horrible. It's some local fucking guy who's just doing it because he's, you know, he handles the club's Twitter page or whatever. So they bring him up. He does 10 minutes of just white noise. Crowd doesn't like it. And then the feature goes up, and he's getting softball pitch spot. Right. And he's just going for the crush. And sometimes when you go on the road and you're a guy from out of town and you're getting a local, you know, some feature trying to take your job, he's going for blood. Then you go up there and you got to hope and pray, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, like, Joe Rogan, man, put great people up before him. And I throw everything in the kitchen sink. He's the only guy I can do that, where I can just throw anything I want to the crowd. Yeah. And the crowd goes crazy. He walks up, like, nothing even happened, and he just crushes. Yeah. And he's only going to get bigger. That's the best part of it. Do you guys feel like comedy's making a new, um, a new surge? You know, I talked about coming out of that sort of 10 I th- years. Time. I think that these the podcasting thing is going to have an interesting effect on live comedy um, I, in a positive way. Well, like I said, it gave it, me a, a much greater respect for your art uh-huh. by knowing a little bit more about it. Because what that. happens is we can go to shows and wherever we go and people that, you know, we have the, a, a fan base from podcasting and stuff that's, you know, it's not gigantic, but it is, it's spread out. So sure. whenever we go somewhere, there's people that are going to come there to see us that would fucking never have come without already feeling like they know us on the podcast and just come right up to us at the bar and say hi and say, oh, I sent you this tweet and, uh-huh. you know, and you feel like you already know each other. I think sure. podcasting is going to have a ginormous effect in the I long run on comedy. I do too. All the shows that I go and see, you know, like I spend a lot of time just at home working, doing my thing. The shows I go to see are the people that I listen to their podcast. Yeah. Right. Yep. Everybody really. gets their own TV show. That's how I see podcasts. Everybody gets their own TV show, and it's either sink or swim. <laughs> yeah. And I'm blessed that I got, to, you know, that, again, going back to Rogan, I'm very thankful for well, You guys got a tight crew. You know, we were talking about crews and stuff. Yeah. And you you guys all have a bunch of, like, it, hardworking, like, people who are, are focused on what you're doing. And it's hard. It's it's getting harder and harder to find crews like that. It is. Yeah, and Tripley brought up a good point the other day. You know, it's kind of like, remember that old cartoon Voltron? Where it's like six or seven different little individual like warriors that when we all come together with something, it's like, you know, it's something much bigger. Sure. You know, it's like putting together all of our own little aspects and, and combining those forces to pump that shit out to everybody and be like, hey, you know. The thing about the podcast also is I think as the economy gets better, as people get more money, then it's really going to go off. And I felt like tonight, last night was an example of that. Last night was an example of, like, I think shit, shit starting to... Because it was... Both shows were pretty full. Uh-huh. And I've yeah. done, like... I heard tonight th- sold out. Somebody tweeted me that. Yeah. The last two... Like, the last year and a half since the economy went under, you know, that you get one packed crowd and the rest would be, like... Because people were hurting, man. Dude, La Jolla is dying. Dying. Yeah, and it's, like, starting to go... And that's an affluent community, too. Yeah. yeah. The richest community yeah. in San Diego. Yeah, so it's like, I think it's starting to turn back around, but yeah, man, the best thing that ever happened was, you know, podcasts for me. I mean, to get with Rogan, and Rogan's crowd is, you know, my crowd, and I'm blessed with that. You know, it's like, I'm blessed that he has a following. He's always had a following, you know, but, you know, to get on the UFC, it was like, that crowd is my crowd, and I'm blessed that, you know, he... We're good friends, and he's like, "Hey, come on and hang with us." And then Red Band is a friend of mine. Started doing Death Squad, and he's like, "Yo, if you think of a podcast, do it." So he's coming up with all this stuff, and I'm like, "Why don't I just do the Naughty Show podcast?" 
The Naughty Show is really popular. Let's do it. Red Band loves the Naughty Show. So we did it, and it's just been getting bigger and bigger. Every week we get, everyone's like, the show's just getting better and better and better, and it's it's just getting really good, man. It's like, and people, you know, either you're talented or you're not talented. Right. And either it shows or it doesn't. And people are going to get behind it, or they're not. You know what's funny is listening to, if you ever find yourself in a situation in your car or whatever, and you're listening to just terrestrial radio, after somebody, you know, because I listen to a lot, just like you, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I listen to all my buddies, I listen to Ari, I listen to Rogan, I li you know, there's a lot of podcasts I listen to, I like Corolla's podcast. Um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, and then when you listen to radio, God, man, it just feels like they have the shackles on. Yeah. You know, it's like they can't, you, you can feel them not being able to talk about what they want to talk about, you know, and yeah. it's just so boring and, and in a weird way dishonest. Yeah, you know, because it's just bu sure. it's commercial bullshit. It's almost like hurry up and get to the commercials. This is boring. You know, what yeah, I mean? yeah. <laughs> you know, sell me. Try to sell me something, man. This sucks. Yeah. You know. Well, with the with the naughty show, obviously the podcast is like a, a new um, sort of evolution of it. Do you see it evolving even more into a, a bigger production? Oh yeah. yeah, the goal is television. That's kind of where we're going. You know, it's because I have to get. You know, we have to get an internet base following getting bigger, but I've been approached by people to do a, uh, you know, a show, do the show on TV. They were talking about possibly like doing something like an on-demand thing, uh -huh. which it would be interesting. I mean, of course you like to be on Comedy Central and all that stuff, but yeah. I want to do something that's just totally different where I can control the, the content. And it's just like, I think it would just, all the shows I know where the the they're allowed to create without outside influence are always considered the best shows. Right. And you know, if we can do it on demand, we would be in control of the content. We can do the show the way the show is, the way the yeah. show's been popular, and just be like, here's you know, if you know, if for the price of the ticket you would take to go see it at the Improv, you know, in Iowa, you can watch the fucking naughty show. Yeah. You know, it seems like it would be a, a pretty natural progression or a natural sort of movement to do. Into like a, a, would you call it a, like a skit show? Or yeah, a variety a show. Variety show. It's a variety show in Jaeger. That's what I call it. It's like a crazy party. And um, yeah, it is. It's just sometimes, you know, it's just like the suits, if they don't get it, they don't get it. Yeah, well, I, you know, again, back to those taboos, I'm sure you have to, you have to make that sell saying like, this is going to be okay with everybody. Well, I don't think you should have to be okay with right. everybody. No, I see what you're saying. Though. You're saying to, the, like to sell it to the suits, you, yeah. mean, you know, they, they don't look at it like this isn't... Here's the problem, man. Suits don't look at something from with these glasses on. This has an audience. I think this is funny and entertaining. Let's try to find a form for this to make money. Yeah. They look at it like, how can we make this commercialized and get advertisers involved? That right there is the problem from taking art to commercialism. That there, somewhere in there, there's it's like going from German to French. There's no in between language that connects the two. Yeah. So you can't do it, and it's, that's the problem with the formula right now. Is they're trying to go, how do I take this art and make it and, and capital and and put this, you know, there's a disconnect. Communal fucking thing into Between a capitalistic people who watch formula. TV and the people who make TV. And mm -hmm. That's my opinion. There's a huge disconnect. And the people who make make TV, the, the right. people who are actually the creative force yeah. behind it. Right? Yeah, they're like what's Pepsi going to think about <laughs> yeah. two hot chicks making out while somebody in a rabbit suit is doing cartwheels? Yeah. You know what? Pepsi's not going to think anything about it because there's a lot of people that are going to get freaked out about it. 
Now, does that not change that a shitload of people think it's funny and contextually get where where we're going with it? No. But Pepsi's not going to have a fucking thing to do with it. So suits go, I don't know. We, Dude, me and Sam have had countless meetings with executives that are like, I think your show's hilarious. I have no fucking idea what to do with it. <laughs> I, I'll make some calls. I'll email some people. Yeah, I'll see what I can so do. They're do baffled we're with like, it, you know? It, well, what do we do with it? Yeah. We can't get They want to, they want, like, what is it? It's like, they want me to put it in a box. Yeah. And it's not a box. We're like, yeah. it's the Muppets meets Benny Hill. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like there's nothing we can fucking, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's it's its own thing, man. And it's like it's something brand new. You don't really have it. Dude, everybody. Right. I had a, a guy who I did stand up with in Australia and uh, he was in town and he came to the show. And after the show, one of the local comics would talk to him. They're like, oh, yeah, where are you from? Australia. Like, what do you think of the show? And he's like, I've never seen anything like that. The only thing I've ever seen is stand up. I've never seen like that. And when the guy's telling me, he's like, oh, he hated it. The next day I see, he, tweeted, he hit me up on Facebook, greatest thing I've ever seen, loved it all, <laughs> holy shit. And that's the naughty show. Yeah. it's it, I call it the ballet of chaos. <laughs> that's a good analogy. I love it because we'll be doing something on stage and the room will just be quiet. And like, I'm going, but in my head I'm like, nobody's reacting to this. Oh, fuck. And then the skit will end and the place will just go nuts and you're like oh they were just entertained they yeah were just, yeah yeah because sometimes when you become a chuckle junkie you, you know you're used you, to that instinct reaction you see that you see these comics who do these very basic premises and they're like because they gotta get the laugh right and you're like oh man and it's like bah, bah, bah. and then you go up there with your thoughts and people are taking it and you're like this isn't going well they're not reacting to it they're digesting what's going on. Yeah, part of that silence could be them really paying attention. No, that's yeah, all them paying attention. Yeah. yeah, right. It's all them paying attention. And like, uh, when did that happen? Uh, we did something with, uh, there's this girl named Esther in our show. We call her Lil Esther. And we had uh, like one of the number one fetish models in the world named Matsumi Max. Matsumi Max. And we had them do a fe- uh, photo shoot on stage. He played a uh, French photo photographer uh Vidal Boom Boom yeah. and um we uh Lil Esther came up she looks 12 she's yeah, she yeah. Had, like she's... footy pajamas on and this other chick's like in all like fucking Catwoman outfit she dressed like a Catwoman yeah. it was gracing and they just started doing a photo shoot and the room was quiet and I'm on the side dying with laughter but I'm like this is bombing and then as soon as they got done the place went nuts yeah I got off stage and we brought the next comic on. I forget it was El Magical, I think. But he went up and he performed. Oh, and I went outside and people were like, dude, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. That was awesome. That was brilliant. And I'm like, okay, I guess so. Because I up on stage thought it was uh, a death. I thought <laughs> we were dying. And they went crazy. And you just, that's the beauty. It's like ADD theater, man. Every two minutes, literally every five minutes, there's something new going on. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole awesome. thing. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned something in that about how you know you're you're performing or you're speaking, and all of a sudden you're also having that secondary voice that's happening yeah. mm-hmm. in your head. Um, I I did a lecture for an art class, just another one of those things where like an opportunity was given to me, I just took it and decided not to be afraid, and I noticed that as I was talking to these kids, sure. <clears throat> I had this part that I knew was that I thought was funny, that I was going to leave this little open space for the laugh to fit in. And there was no laugh there. 
and I could sort of see it happening as it as I'm saying it and as I'm like leaving that space, like there is that secondary voice. What what the fuck is that? It's it's almost like um your brain becomes ambidextrous. It's yeah. weird. You yeah. have multiple thoughts going on. Like uh, someone told me that Carlo Bo can count how many people are in the room while he's doing his act. <laughs> he goes, how many people in the room? Oh, don't worry. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll count it. And he does his act. He got off stage. He's like, yeah, there's 110 people in the room. And I'm like, that's crazy to be able to do your act. That might be an know, idiot savant thing. To be able to count people, dude. <laughs> that's like nuts. That's nuts. And it's just the way it is, man. Like when I, when I do stand-up, I really don't like to go up there with a set. I like to have, I have chunks, uh-huh. depending on what the crowd's giving me. I, I like to go Peyton Manning on the crowd, where I read the D, <laughs> and I call the offense based on what the D's getting, giving me, yeah. you know, I'm checking linebackers, where's the safety, <laughs> and sometimes I'll go long ball, you know, sometimes I know I gotta do a couple runs here, keep it simple, little easy stuff, get them digestible. Move the chains. And that stuff's constantly spinning, right? Oh, all the time. I'm always like two steps in front of everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta be, you know. You know, so, I, when it comes to that, you, you there is that kind of like internal, and it's kind of like a time vacuum. Time really slows down when you're doing stand up and you're in that sort of moment because when you know what your act is, it's very similar to when you were lecturing. You knew what you were gonna, what points you were gonna make. You had your note cards. You knew what mm-hmm. you were gonna do. That's no different than our act. So that sort of becomes autopilot. You do your as you're going through that, like Sam says. Your brain's going, how is this working? Okay, this is all going good. Keep 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 up with the plan. Keep up with the plan. This isn't going good, you know? And then and you know, you know, you can adjust as as you know you have to. It's it's very interesting like that. It yeah, really does pop, slow I down remember, time. Uh, it's like Jordan being in the fucking zone. It's uh, like Michael, can, when Michael Vick got into the NFL, he was talking like two or three years in, he was talking about when he got there, the game was so fast. And now he's like, it's slowed down for me. And I got that reference because yes. it's the same thing with comedy. Yeah. And it's like I was talking to the uh, kid who opened uh, the first show. I thought he did very well. But I could tell there was a couple moments where he didn't get the reaction he wanted and he kind of had a freak out moment. And he started going faster. And yeah. like I told him, like, no, when you think it's going bad, you go slower. That happened in kickboxing. Slow it down, dude. The slower you go... Everything's better slow. Then you can breathe, and it shows a crowd you're not panicking. Yeah, because that that creates you're you're giving them like I have this sense of urgency. I feel like this is going bad, and the audience, unbeknownst to the audience, goes, "He thinks this is going bad." Now I feel bad for him, and they're not in the moment. Well, if you can keep the fucking audience in the moment, it's really easy for you to be in the moment. That's exactly what it is, bro. Because on a cellular level, we're communicating even without one hundred percent, and we're leading the dance. You don't know it. You you know what I mean? It's unwritten and untalked about. And if I'm like, hey, let's dance, I'll lead. And I'm fucking, don't look like I know what I'm doing. You're going to be like, this fucking guy doesn't know, you know? And it's all very subconscious. Great yeah. comedians are like cult leaders. I always say that. And I was doing a, a podcast, or I was doing an interview with a bunch of really young comedians. And I go like, when you're doing comedy, you're learning Jedi tricks. And they all laughed at me. But it's the truth. You were learning how to trick people. With your mind, uh-huh. with words, yeah, and that's what always makes me laugh about audience members who give me advice on comedy. Like, you know, what you should do. It's like you're you sell for the tricks, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I know the tricks he's pulling. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm the Jedi. You're the one, and that's why, like, 
You know, like great comics, like they get this stream of consciousness, and it's this, and the crowd just syncs up with them. And that's why when they're doing a joke and they fuck up a word, the crowd gets out of the uh, the the uh, the uh, that little cloud. Train yeah, of thought, the, uh, that little yeah, trance. Trance. They're they're kicked out of the trance. Yep. And then you got to get them back and into that's the because trance. You got out of it. You yeah. Yep. Know, right? uh -huh. It's like cadence. You get them thinking like you. Yep. And that's what crowds do. And that's why, again, if you follow a comic who's completely opposite of you, it could be very hard to get them into you. So you got to because you got to deprogram his trance and put it back into yours. That's why, I like. Like you know, me and Caparello, yeah, for the longest trend. time, I would have it would be a, it would be a struggle for me to follow him because his act is so different than mine. You know, his is a very uh, you know I mean he does his thing. He's much more mainstream, and I don't see the world that way. And I like to talk about what I like to, and it's weird. It's like going from Shrek to you know Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. It's like two different vibes, right. and you have to learn how to turn them over. And it takes time. And I've always learned, slow it down. When yeah. someone just went on stage and killed, slow it down. When you're headlining, you walk right up on stage, slow down. Don't be in a hurry. You got an hour to talk. Don't start just throwing jokes at people. Bring them into your world. Then start going into your chaos. And then once you get into that groove, that groove allows you to just be... Build momentum. Slow, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And it's, a, it's, it's the same thing with art, man. Like, I, I tell people all the time, I make the same painting over and over again, it just looks different. Because I got all those Jedi tricks, right? Mm -hmm. Is that I know the brush stroke, I know the colors that go right together, and I could formulate it all, and then it's this thing. But really, it's, it's like the practice. It's the practice over and over again. It's like mm -hmm. rappers and rock bands. It's like, you know, it's like they get a certain formula that works, and that's what they do. And they just work that thing. And that's why, like, in rock, you'll see one hit wonder. And it's usually a song that sounds like nothing like their other songs. Mm -hmm. So, because they're just doing something different, or they were told to do a song like this, and they clicked into it, but they can't own that, because that's not what they do, right. you know? So it's like they hit once, and then you never hear from them again. Yeah, you just got to find your formula. And what's your thing? And you got to just learn how to do a Jedi trick to get them, you know, to digest what you're saying. Yeah. And that comes from a hook, too. It's called a hook. You know, a lot of comics hate the word hook because they associate it with, like, some kind of, like, uh, lie or some marketing stuff. Uh -huh. But, the, you know, the Naughty Show, for me, comes from when I did, uh, I used to do the Vivid Video Tour. And uh, one day they called me. And they're like, hey, man, uh, you're highly recommended to do the show. We've never seen you, but we'd love to have you in the show. Everyone says you're great. Could you get here by this time? And it was in Irvine, and I live in L.A., which is an hour, almost two hours of traffic. Yeah. So I'm driving out. They're like, are you close? Because if not, we got to put Burt Kreischer, and we don't want you following him. When he's really good. I'm like, I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. So Burt Kreischer goes up. He has a great set. And then I just go up, and I, I just start crushing. I mean, I am crushing. And then the little voice inside my head goes, this is our crowd. This is our crowd. The vivid video, the sex show, uh -huh. that's our crowd. And from that day, and I started working with those guys. I'm like, I want to work with you on the show. No one else would do it. And I'm like, I want to work with you. They ended up doing it. And it was like, and they're great guys. It was like their fourth or fifth passion project. It yeah. wasn't number one on their list. And I kept telling them, let's do it. Do it. And then eventually they stopped doing it. So after about like eight months or so, or, or a year goes by, and I'm like, I just see people trying to do bad versions of it. I'm like, why am I not doing that? I can do this show. And I pitched the Comedy Central, 
and I did the I did my pilot presentation and it was considered the best show ever done there by a lot of people. They didn't pick it up, but I believed in it. And I just keep working it and like that's my hook. Uh I, I'm just the adult comedy guy, you know. Which is and typically I from experience and from seeing other people, it's when we sort of accidentally sort of come into those things and that moment of, of something new clicks and you're like, Yeah, this is gonna work. A lot of times that's the case, you know. Life is so circumstantial, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's we like, try. We try to make it happen. Yeah, so many times. yeah. Life is what happens to you while you're planning your life. That's what yeah. they always say. You know yeah, what I mean? And that's sure. totally no, true. No, it's totally true, man. It's totally true, and it's just like it's a good one, right? Shit. It's just like you know. It's like you know, Carlos Mencia, whoever you want. Everybody, I can break it down. Everyone's got this hook, man. Even Doug Stanhope, who's like very like anti establishment anti that's his hook uh -huh. he'll say anything yeah and the crowds that love him and it's not everybody and he's one of my favorites sure. but the crowds who love him love him yeah and he that's his hook and he'd probably hate to hear it but that's the truth man all the great comedians have a hook that's good man i'm gonna take that and, and run with it and bring it into my uh i think we, we find that in our communities too but all artists are the same good dude to, uh if I listed all the characters for a comedian and all the characteristics for an adult film star, and I didn't label them, and I asked you to pick which one's which, you'd have a really hard time <laughs> yeah. deciding yeah. which one's which. Yeah. yeah. Even, more even including the parts with dildos. And that's why I get along with them. And they like sure. me, because I, 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 I understand that. There's a level of compassion, right? That it's not it's not that judgment all the time. Yeah, dude, I, I mean... It's not compassion, because I think compassion is that they're in bad places, and you feel for that. Maybe I'm interpreting that word wrong, and I, I'm... I'm just saying that. And we're, yeah, yeah. we're anything but unprofessional but I, with them. I, I like, get them. Yeah. We never hit them. on them. We never try. I mean, Red and Man I, literally I, bangs every yeah. person in every one of our shows. Yeah, he bangs more Sam and I haven't held like hands it. with anybody. I never, I have never, and here's the craziest thing. Nikki Benz is an exception to this rule because she doesn't do really crazy porn, but she's the coolest chick. But I find the crazier the porn the girls do, the cooler, the cooler they, they are. are, yeah, really, absolutely. God knows, truth. Yeah, some of the biggest savages in the industry are the coolest people. Yeah. They are. Now they're flaky, you know. They're not really into schedules. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to stay on time. So it's like wrangling cats. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. We're wrangling cats. It's like catching a marlin a lot of times. You know, <laughs> but they're very cool, man. They're always the coolest, and most laid back, most honest. You treat them with, yeah. I, you know, I just, I just show them that, you know, you know, I just like, it's easy. It's easy the way it's going. And people always try to come. It, the Naughty Show is the number one ripped off show in Hollywood. People try to rip it off left and right. And they just think they can do it. And it's very funny because when I did the first show, which was the Comedy Central pilot, I had a totally different view of everything. Uh -huh. And now it's like after doing it for two, three years, I have so many more tools to deal with what's going on. Yeah. And that's why now I have to take it to another level. I've done as much as I can at this level with it. We've written as much as we can. Now it's time to take it to a national level and have a couple more things happen to it. And it will work. It's going to work. I'm just, it's going to just take this one crazy exact who's like, I get it. I, right. I Put it on television. And it will boom. Yeah. Boom. Oh, I yeah. totally believe in it. Well, from an outside perspective, it, it looks like you're right on the right track, you know, just from a viewer or like a, a fan even perspective. It, it looks like it's on like that positive right It's track. a lot of fun. There's a lot of girls that go to the show. I mean, you'd be amazed at how many women come to the show. Our audience yeah. is probably half girl. Yeah, half oh, females. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, because they get it. And there's going to always be that segment of women 
who are going to automatically be offended. Sure. And, but you can't really deal with that. But they're not coming to the show anyway. Yeah. And that's a lot of people think I use porn stars to bring people. That's really not what it is. I use porn stars to keep people away. <laughs> and that's the truth. No, I never thought sense. about it like that. You know, because yeah. there's people who sit there, like the ladies that were heckling you last night. They would see porn stars and be like, I'm not going to that show. Right. I don't want you there. Sure. You're not perfect. The show's yeah, not yeah, yeah. Meant for you. You'll see porn stars and bring, you know, you're the person who comes with, a, they come with to the comedy show with a certain view of comedy. And if you don't fit into that, they get angry. Yeah. I don't want them there. I want people who want to come and have yeah, fun. You want your crowd. Yeah. I want them to come and have fun, and it's not like a degrading show. The show is, you know, I, I put, I say, I put on a show you can bring your girlfriend to, and that's like the, that's what it's all about, a great comedy show that's real, because that's what I grew up on. Kennison, you know, Dice, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, you know, guys yeah. just going out there slinging honesty, mm-hmm. and people love that shit. Yeah. Then it, the message started getting skewed. You know, not you know, and it's just like let's. I need to get back. I want to get back to that. So I think that's what people want. Yeah, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And they're shocked when they get like, whoa, that's honesty. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Yeah. We see it in this do-it-yourself mentality that I think is really coming back into fruition. It's coming. It's like people are are tired of being like babied by their government by and being yeah stadium. being spoon fed what i should sure. think what is acceptable to say how it's sure. a, you know how i'm supposed to dress how i'm too. supposed to look the progressives and the yeah oh, yeah, yeah no doubt no absolutely yeah. both, both, every angle of the media is constantly telling you what you should think how you should sure. think the other person the other way of thinking is wrong what you should believe in you know who the bad guy is and how to not be the bad guy the truth is, man, I'm just trying to fucking breathe a couple you more know, times, you know? Yeah, if you ch- question George Bush, it's you consider to say you don't love your country. You question uh, Barack Obama, the progressives call you a racist. You know, Chocolate you, Jesus is fucking funny as shit. Yeah, Chocolate Jesus was the name of a, uh, of a, uh, uh, of a famous New York City basketball player like back in the day oh one of those street players yeah yeah yeah, yeah. chocolate jesus dude what a great nickname bro for a basketball player That's chocolate hilarious. jesus all right i think chocolate jesus is a good spot we get in this thing awesome man. Let's thank plug you your so guys much stuff bro. um let's get your twitters out there and your websites um i am at the team t-h-e-t-e-e-b on twitter and um at sam tripley also on twitter i'm uh i'm samtripley.com Sam Tripley on Twitter, uh, T-R-I-P-O-L-I. Um, you can also go to the Naughty Comedy Show.com to see all the Naughty yep. Comedy Show stuff. And then and subscribe then, to our YouTube page as yeah. well. Very important. Why it's still up. Um, yeah. YouTube, uh, it's just on NaughtyShowComedy.com. And then, uh, and yeah, subscribe to that because the, you know we're trying to get our YouTube followers up, and that's what we're really going to try to use to pitch this to anybody that wants to. And the Death Squad iTunes, sure Death Squad yeah. TV, Death Squad TV, the Naughty Show podcast, uh, Skeptic Tank with Ari Shafir, you know. Just check out all the uh, all the Death Squad shit. Yeah, Death and Squad I do a blog TV. for each episode, so I'll have all those links for people to go and find. Cool, everything. awesome. What, man, Tony, what's so your stuff? Tony Hinchcliffe at Tony Hinchcliffe. Tony. Uh, H plus inch, Cliff plus E. That's how you spell it. <laughs> that's you want to make a card? I'll make a business card for you that says you that. You need on that. It. I love it. Absolutely. Let's right, get it going. We'll make Definitely. that happen. I need that badly. Yeah. So with the full spelling, mm-hmm. you know. It's H awesome. plus inch, Cliff plus E.
Dude, thank you so much. Yeah, much thank you very much. I, uh, I appreciate you guys taking Thanks, the time. Yeah, really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for the hat, too, man. Yeah, yeah for sure. At the Jack Off Hour, this is DJ Easy Dick. On the balls right now, something new by Snoop Doggy Dog. And this one goes out to the ladies from all the guys. A big bow wow wow. Because we're going to make it a little mystery here tonight. This is DJ Easy Dick on the station that slaps you across your fat ass. With a fat dick. When I met you last night, baby. Before you opened up your gap. I had a respect for your lady. But now I take it all back. Cause you gave me all your pussy. And you even licked my Give you a call Next time I'm feeling kinda honey You can come on over And I'll break you off And if you can't fuck that day, baby Just lay back and open your mind 